Welcome back to the Give Em Liam podcast on the Cover Podcast Network. I'm Liam, I'm your host. I'm back for another week. I know the posting schedule's been all, all over the place, but when you've got a sick kid at home, it's just that, that's stuff people don't tell you about. Have kids. Obviously, have kids. Love kids. So much fun. They are fun. It's the most rewarding thing you can do. It's also the most difficult thing you do. You could do. I've got a little boy. He's been very. He's been sick, coughing, snotty, tired, grumpy, won't eat. And of course, he gave that to my partner. So been daddy daycare, daddy night care, daddy morning care. <laughs> You've been not complaining. I'm just saying it's tough. So that's why the posting schedule's been all over the place. I missed two interviews. With, uh, with guests, I've had to reschedule those, so I apologize. I feel like I'm constantly apologizing for not having a guest. But I know you come to listen to me anyway, so it's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the guests. you you got the hot take the hot take king right here. <laughs> Lots of people shaking their heads in this room right now. Firstly, top of the show, thank you to thecover.com.au. Go there, subscribe to the newsletter, read some articles, listen to some other podcasts. Stuff goes up every day, sometimes more than one thing a day, which is pretty impressive for, for such a small outfit. <laughs> also, thank you to riverside.fm. If you're cruising on the web, hit the tile on our website if you want to start your own podcast or, or vodcast, vlog, live stream, Twitch, whatever. They can do all of that. All you need is Riverside and a webcam, which most laptops, computers have now anyway. I'm using my MacBook right now. So if you if you want to start one of those things that I just mentioned, head to our website, thecover.com.au, click on the Riverside tile, because we get a nice little kickback from that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not scared to plug riverside.fm right now, right at the top of the show. <laughs> Obviously had a lot happen and I'm I'm going to be careful with the way that I sort of approach tonight, today, this podcast, but I think we should start firstly uh, Monaco Grand Prix over the weekend. F1 has become like just hugely popular uh, over the last, well, I guess a few years, you know, the, the Netflix documentary has sort of expedited all that. It's made it really popular. Everyone loves it. And it's cool, right? The glitz, the glamour. You know, there's so much money getting thrown around. Celebrities are always at the track. And and the drivers themselves are now celebrities. Like, you know, Lewis Hamilton went to the Met Gala. You can't buy tickets to that bad boy. Billy, I tried to buy some off Billy McFarlane, who also got let out of prison recently. <laughs> But you can't buy those bad boys. You've got to be invited. You know, so he's proper famous. He's a proper celeb. But everyone's favorite Australian driver, Daniel Ricciardo, seems to be really struggling again this, this season with the McLaren car. And it's hard, right? So McLaren brings a guy like Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo in who's a hugely talented driver. I think he felt a little bit hard done by at Red Bull, but when you've seen what Max Verstappen has done with the car at such a young age, you can sort of understand why they shifted their focus from 
Ricardo to Verstappen. And I get it. Like, you know, he'd, he'd established himself. He, I, think he, I think he'd finished third twice with Red Bull, you know, overall driver's championship. So I think he felt like his time was coming and then this dude, Max Verstappen, comes in, who everyone seems to hate, by the way, which I love. <laughs> he is a bit of a dick, if I can say that on this podcast. I hope he's not listening. You know what? I hope he is listening. That would be great. Anyway, so, you know, hugely talented driver in Daniel Ricciardo. So a team like McLaren brings him in, obviously for his talent. You know, they want to be competitive. That You know, they're trying to trying to bump up into that third or fourth spot in the, in the Constructors' Championship because that obviously comes with money and prestige and, you know, more budget to, to pump into research and development for your car and, and that sort of thing. But they're also bringing him in because he's a, you know, he's a profile, he's a star, and he brings some money in with him just, just purely through his, through his stature, you know, through his fame and, and some of the achievements he's had earlier on in, in his career. But now, really struggling in the car, Lando Norris clearly is faster. His car is clearly faster. Pressure's mounting on Daniel Ricciardo, and, you know, I don't know if you know much about trying to work under pressure, but it is it is pretty challenging. It is pretty tough. And so the pressure's mounting, you know, and, and I guess it's hard, it's hard for him. So, you know, what, what does Daniel Ricciardo do now? Because I, I think McLaren are, are likely to move on from him because he hasn't delivered the results that they want. You know, Re- when you look at Red Bull, Ferrari, even Mercedes – you know, they have established number two drivers. You know, Charles Leclerc is the number one at Ferrari. Um, Max Verstappen's the number one at Red Bull. And obviously Lewis Hamilton is the number one at Mercedes. And then, you know, they, they all have established number two drivers. So George Russell, obviously for for Mercedes, Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz. You know, is is he is he really gonna bring what you need in a number two driver now, now that he's had, you know, pretty pretty ordinary seasons with season or 2019, 2020 with Renault. You know, pretty average season last year with McLaren, another average to subpar ordinary season this year with McLaren. If I'm McLaren, I'm probably trying to move on from him. I'm going to invest more in Lando. Lando's younger, faster. Obviously, the car suits his driving style better. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a aerodynamicist. I don't know enough about about that sort of thing. But you know, obviously, obviously, he he is the be- the better driver in in the McLaren car right now. Whether he has more talent, you know, I don't know. I think most people would say Daniel is one of the most talented drivers. He's just you know, and I feel like this happens a lot with Australian athletes in, you know, overseas, I guess. You know, think about Greg Norman as an example of this guy who was prodigiously talented but never quite got over the hump. You know, he won a couple of majors, but he could have won, you know, he could have won more. Mark Webber in the same sport was a little bit the same in that, you know, he talented, had plenty of opportunities to get a win in terms of an, an overall championship. Um, and I guess kind of ironic that Daniel Ricciardo replaced him at, at Red Bull and also just stole his... Not stole. Also just 
took the record for uh, most F1 race starts by an Australian at 216 or 217 now. So I feel like this happens a bit where we have these prodigiously talented guys who just just can't quite get over the hump. And, you know, was, was Daniel Ricciardo moving from Red Bull across to Renault a mistake? Maybe. But I think, you know, I think when you when you personally as an athlete or, or as, you know, as, a, as someone living your life, if you truly believe that there is a better opportunity for you, you know, an environment that's going to allow you to have success, you can't, you know, you can't second guess that. You've got to, you've got to take that opportunity because otherwise you're always going to wonder why. And, you know, if, if it had have worked out, if Renault had to become this juggernaut or, you know, the, the two McLaren cars were doing much better, you know, we, we obviously wouldn't wouldn't be here having this conversation but you know I think in hindsight like if if he'd known that maybe this was how it was going to turn out he probably would have stayed at Red Bull and gone okay well I'm just going to try and hold off Max win a a constructors maybe see what happens (laughs) but having said that there's another guy Oscar Piastri down in Formula 2 he is another Australian guy and you know he looks he looks to be the next Australian F1 driver from all accounts really talented you know maybe maybe someone like McLaren takes a flyer on him you know young driver two young drivers Lando Piastri let him get it maybe i don't know we've seen that happen in the past you know Charles Leclerc with Ferrari they they took a flyer on him he's obviously a very talented driver and is now, you know, pushing for for a championship himself. You know, so maybe that is the way of the future is is to invest invest in the young fearless driver versus the the, the older statesman and, and have the vet who's maybe had some success early in his career as the number two driver. You know, we are seeing that we are literally seeing that play out with Leclerc Leclerc and Sainz and Verstappen and Perez. And, you know, maybe with Hamilton and Russell, you know, maybe there's a bit of a change of the guard there. So it's going to be a really interesting back end of the year for Ricardo. He's under contract for another year, but I wouldn't be surprised if results don't start coming or he doesn't start to become a bit more competitive if, if he's done. Yeah, done in the sport entirely. <laughs> like, it's, it, it, it's tough, but... You know where does he go? As I said, the, those those contending teams or those teams you would consider contenders, they all have established number ones and twos. You know maybe if Lewis Hamilton does retire, that's a seat that that Ricardo could pick up for a year or two. Or you know does Voltari Bottas go back? I, you know I don't know. I don't want to speculate. I I have no, I have no inside knowledge. I'm a pleb when it comes to F1 news, but I just. I just and I don't see him wanting to go to a Haas, you know, a, a, a team that is going to be perennially on the back of the of the grid. I just don't see him wanting to do that. And you know, for for those teams, what's the what's the ROI for signing Ricardo? Like, does he really have the same pull in terms of sponsors and that sort of thing that he used to have? I don't know. Food for thought, I guess. One thing I also want to do 
I really want to shout out Chloe Dalton with her Female Athlete Project. An amazing podcast, an amazing Instagram page in particular. It's got a website, merch line, doing unreal things. If you don't know Chloe, go check her out. She, in her in her own right, is an incredible athlete, incredibly com- competent. That is that's a ridiculous thing to say. Accomplished, <laughs> an incredibly accomplished athlete, in her own right, and she put up a graphic. I'm not sure if it was created by her or if ABC Sport or someone put it up, but there was a graphic that she put up on her page, which sort of listed you know all the all of the female professional female sports in Australia and or professional sports investing in, in women and, and the average salary and the top salary and then the investment that they're making in the sport. So AFLW should be commended, shouted out. They're investing about $25 million. A little bit, a num- the number's a little bit north of that, but about $25 million in the AFLW competition. They're obviously expanding again, Swans and, and Port Adelaide. Uh, yeah, Port Adelaide. Um, are coming in and, you know, it's it's just a testament to, to the way that they've built that competition. You know, they started started small, humbly, but really worked on the, the concept, getting the infrastructure right, making sure they had the right partnerships in place, making sure they had the right people in the right orgs, in the right roles, and then, you know, have slowly and quietly expanded, expanded, expanded. And, you know, now we've arrived here. And, you know, the frustrating thing for me as someone who was part of, you know, the initial concept of of the Uni7 series, we went to market before AFLW and NRLW. We had a brief moment there of competitive advantage, but we didn't have the right people in the right roles, making the right decisions. And now rugby is being left behind. Rugby rugby is, was the only sport on that list that wasn't paying their players at, I guess, at, at the provincial level or at the state level. So the only, the only rugby teams that are paying their players are the Melbourne Rebels and Western Force, and they're getting match fees and, and some expenses covered. The three... Sorry, the, the, the three other Australian franchises aren't paying their players at all. The national teams get a bit. You know, the, the Wallaroos, the 15-side team gets a bit. And the sevens athletes get a living wage. But, you know, it's it's still meagre compared to what, to what the AFLW is doing. So just want to shout them out. You know, if, for, for anyone listening, if you want a, a case study in how to start a competition and and grow it organically and allow it, you know, allow it to do its thing. And, and just to show proof of concept, you know, that's, that's the model that everyone should be following in, in not, not just in women's sport, but in, in any sport where you're trying to make a jump from that sort of semi-professional or even amateur level up, up to, up to professionalism. And then, you know, as, as I guess as part of that list too, that the NRLW should be shouted out as well, you know. Seeing these marquee contracts now, you know, so Millie Boyle and Tamika Upton just signed six-figure contracts with the Newcastle Knights. 
uh, and and only sixteen thousand of that will will sit actually on the the salary cap. So you know, there's a couple hundred thousand dollar investment in in you know two what I would consider world class players, but you know that's good money. That's being able to play football for 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 a living money. You know, that's not part time job study. You know, train in the evenings money. That's I'm I'm a professional athlete money, which is which is fantastic. And and I guess the other you know that's another competition that should be commended because of the way they've built the underpinning structure with their under twenties competition and then the New South Wales and Queensland Cup competition where athletes can earn a little bit of money at that level too. So look, I'm not surprised that rugby is getting left behind in in the women's space and and look in in as a as a sport on a, as a whole you know I'll get in trouble if I reveal too much but you know there are a lot of people in the wrong roles operating above their capabilities operating you know outside of their their skill sets um and you know are not really able to see past the nose on their face, unfortunately, and that's that's why we are where we are, and it's a shame. But I don't want to detract in any way from from what the AFLW has done, you know what the WNBL has done with raising their salaries. You know that was twelve months ago, with raising their salary, their minimum player salary to to seventeen thousand dollars, and. You know, AFLW, NRLW have all done a fantastic job, so you should be commended. And if I could stand up, I would, I would give you a, a, a standing ovation. But yeah, I just think it's really cool. And and you know, for for someone like Chloe Dalton to be sharing, you know, so much light on on it is is amazing. So go check her podcast out. Go check her 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 Instagram page out if you can. On a more somber note, <laughs> and I like, I feel like, I feel like every time I step up to the mic, you know, I'm talking about this woman, and I don't want to, but I also feel like I have to, you know. She she, she's one of the most frustrating individuals on the planet because she just either either doesn't care, and maybe she doesn't care. You know, is always always the victim. Everyone's always out to get her. Everyone's always lying about her, and refuses to be held accountable for anything she says or does. And I'm sure you know who I'm talking about by now, Liz Cambridge. You know more more on the story about the pre Olympics camp has come out, and you know I guess. Is it you know I I took some notes on this just sort of wrote down you know the sequence of events just to kind of make sense of it and here's kind of what what I think happened and it it is comical so you look at the sequence of events she she rolls into Opal's camp and does flag with the staff that she's. You know, she's a bit concerned about her body. She had an ankle injury, a bit concerned about her mental well-being. So they agreed, her, her and her representative and her personal psychologist and the team agreed that she would train every second day. 
and participate every second day, which is, you know, that's fine. If that's what, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. If the team's happy, coach is happy, awesome, no dramas. Then tells, proceeds at some point in the lead up to the game, you know, while she's engaging with, with the opposition, with the Nigerian team, that she wishes she was playing for Nigeria and accused her Australian teammates of being racist. You know, which, look, I, I don't I don't know. I know a few of the Opals players and they, they don't give me those vibes. And, I, and I, I'm, I don't think in a sport like basketball you would you would last all that long if you were that way inclined, regardless of your talent level. Um, so, you know, that that's an interesting, like an interesting thing for her to say. And, you know, that, that was brought to light by a couple of Nigerian players who asked to remain anonymous in, in the Sydney Morning Herald's uh, in, investigative piece around what happened. Anyway, they play this warm-up game. Early in the game... She elbows Victoria McCauley, the Nigerian center. And, it, you know, she is claiming that it was unintentional. And, you know, I, like I'm, I've, the footage is on my, on my Instagram page at Give Them Liam. And you, so you can, you can have a look, look for yourself, but it's a high elbow, you know, to the to the I think it I think it hits her in the neck, but it's a it's a high elbow, like and it's vicious. Like it's a big swing around the back, like she swings around and I don't I don't see how that could be unintentional. Like the like even just like just to put your elbow up like that seems seems intentional. It seems excessive. You know, she's already got five inches four or five inches in, in height on this on this woman. You know, you really need to be throwing elbows. So then a scuffle in shoes after the elbow. Teams call a timeout to try and cool things off. Liz is and this is where she sort of yells the first slur where she's saying, you know, go back to your third world country, that sort of thing. She was reprimanded by the Opal staff and then sort of sat on the bench, the, the game continues. She comes back into the game, gets into another scuffle, slaps a Nigerian player, and is then hit in the back of the head in retaliation for the slap. And that is where she uttered the, the monkey's phrase. So there's a couple of different versions, but it's all, it's all cor- cor- corroborated. So, you know, control your monkey was one that brought up was was one term that was brought up. And, you know, even her Opal's teammates say some of them said they didn't hear it, but, you know, it was brought to their attention by the Nigerian players. So there's that, right? Those two things, you know, then out of embarrassment, and I, I assume that the Australian team, the, the women you know, playing for the Opals were pretty shook. The Nigerians, I assume, were pretty shook by the whole thing. The game was called off before before the end of the second quarter, before halftime, because this had just got completely out of hand. And so then, and I, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what happens, you know, behind the scenes then, but from from the, what I've read from from some people I've spoke to, she was 
you know, she, she said something to the effect of, I don't know why you guys are upset. I'm the one that got hit. So, you know, again, really refusing to take any blame, to, to be held accountable, to accept any responsibility for what happened. She firmly believed that, that she was the, the victim in all of this. Uh, then tries to apologize. The apology doesn't go well and quits and, and cites her mental health as the reason. And as I've spoken about a number of times, any time an athlete, a person brings, brings mental health to the forefront, I think it, it can be a really positive thing. It can be a really positive conversation. But in this instance, people like Liz are the reason why it has such a stigma in sport still. You know, so she's used it as a, as a way to run away from a, a problem that she's caused. And so that, that and, and because of the media around it, because of everything that's now happened, everything that's come to light, a lot of coaches, a lot of administrators, a lot of people will have that view when someone brings mental health to the forefront, which is, you know, it, it is really, really sad and it's, it's so frustrating as someone who has, you know, who, who has had some mental health challenges in the past and, and, and understands it, you know, at a, at a fairly cerebral level and didn't, didn't have the support or didn't seek the support. I probably did have the support. I just didn't seek it. Um, it's just really, it's really frustrating. It's really, it's really sad. Then, <laughs> in the lead up to the Olympics, sends out a tweet wishing the Nigerians good luck at the Olympics, which is just wild. It's a weird. It's so strange. It's just the weirdest thing. After all of that, the weirdest thing that anyone could ever do and then right it all kind of dies down everyone kind of has kind of forgotten about it everyone is kind of comfortable not comfortable but everyone is kind of over it everyone's ready to move on and then she talks a bunch of shit about her about basketball australia about the opals about the coaching staff about her teammates in a press conference saying she's never supported they didn't have her best interest at heart. No one, no one was looking out for Liz. Now, you know, the Sparks are doing everything they can to look out for Liz, blah, blah, blah. And then wonders why, wonders why the, that Jenna O'Hay and others retaliated. Like, it is ridiculous. Then she releases a statement, and I'm not going to read the statement because it's a fucking joke if you ask me, but basically flat out denies the 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 words that she used flat out claiming that the elbow was unintentional and you know really just washing her hands of the whole thing it's just unbelievable unbelievable and it you know it, it i guess it brings me to this question just because you're a good athlete just because you're talented at something does that mean you have to be a role model now I don't know the answer to that question and I would love I would love to hear some thoughts on that but I think I think you do have an obligation to at least be a good human being right you've been blessed with a talent that you work hard at and you know the 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 
the reward for doing that work and having that talent is you get paid well, you have celebrity status, and you know you're allowed some priv- you're you're afforded some privileges that that you know only a very small portion of the world are able to access because you've got money, you've got fame, and and you 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 have a a unique talent. It also brings me it also brings me to the question is just because you're good at something do you need to do it? Like did we think Liz even likes basketball? You see like serious question straight up does Liz like playing basketball? I'm not convinced. And I'm not convinced because every time well one because there that you know trouble seems to follow Liz. There's always there's always controversy around Liz, you know Wanted out of Dallas, wanted out of Las Vegas. You know how long until she wants out of LA? I don't know. And so, like, does she like playing basketball? And then I guess the other thing is, you know, if you look at it through a different lens, the organizations that she's played for have let her down. I can I can feel the I can feel people through the speakers going what what are you talking about they've they've let her down because they've allowed her to do these things they've allowed her to do whatever she wants and get away with it so why why would she do any different do you know you know what I mean so she's always done whatever she wanted and because she's this supremely talented athlete you know, arguably one of the best players in the world. Teams have accommodated her nonsense. So she doesn't know any better. Well, you know, what do you think about that? Now, I'm not defending Liz. I'm not saying that, you know, she's, she should be absolved of, of anything. But what I am saying is culture is really important for every organization not just sporting organizations. And I've always I've always thought, you know, it's the old saying, the fish rots from the head, right? So if you have long-term sustained success, there are usually good people at the helm and that culture filters down to everyone else. If you have long periods of being bad, being crap, not getting the results that you want, not hitting your KPIs, start looking at the people who are making the decisions. And again, <laughs> I'm not absolving Liv. I'm not saying Liv. Liz, I'm not saying, you know, that she's misunderstood or anything like that. I firmly believe that she she is a bad person. And I don't think I don't think she likes basketball. And I don't, you know, I don't think anyone should look up to her. But what I am saying is culture is important. And, you know, the number of teams who've given her chance after chance after chance and then she's just burnt them, you know, go through the list, go look at them. There's plenty. And it is a shame. You know, I, I really do agree with Andrew Gaze on this point. It is a shame because... She is the type of athlete that could have had a huge lasting impact on the sport, not just as an Australian basketballer, but 
but as one of the best basketballers of her generation. And, you know, maybe if she if she liked the game and was willing to work hard and, and dedicate herself and her body to it instead of making excuses all the time, she would, you know, go down in history as one of the best players ever. You know, there's not that many people who have her blend of size, athleticism, and talent. Not that I know of, anyway. So, that's what I'm throwing out there on that on that one. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I hope you guys are sick of it, because I am... Alright. That is enough of that. <laughs> I... Promise I won't bring Liz up again unless she does something else stupid. <laughs> but now it's time to talk about my favorite subject Super Rugby. Finals are here. I can't believe it. I can't wait. It's been an awesome season. It's been, it's been, you know, it's been tough for a few teams. It's, but, and I, and look, I still think that. The the setup, you know, is is maybe a little bit wrong. Like the final setup is maybe a little bit, you know, a little bit silly. Like the the team sitting in eighth is is uh, has only won four games, but I guess the others the others anyway. We can talk about that in a sec. Super Rugby Finals is here. Five, all five New Zealand teams got in. Three Australian teams got in. Little bit concerning that the Rebels didn't chance their arm at the end of their last game against the Highlanders last week to try and get the force in there. You know, would have been cool, four four split. But that's just the way it goes sometimes. So for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll see you'll see this vision here, you'll see this graphic, this uh awesome good PowerPoint presentation that I've put together here. So this is this is the this is the final setup. This is what it looks like. But what I will say is that the brackets aren't set. It's a weird... It is weird, right? So let's just assume, and this is not what I think is going to happen, but let's just assume that Blues, Crusaders, Brumbies, and Chiefs all go through. In In the event that that happens, the Blues will play the Brumbies and the Crusaders will play the Chiefs. 1v4, 2v3. But let's say the Reds... The Blues beat the Highlanders, but the Reds beat the Crusaders. And the Brumbies and Chiefs go through. Then the Blues, instead of playing the fourth-place Brumbies, would play the seventh-place Reds. And the Chiefs and Brumbies would play each other. So it's not a, a, a set bracket system like you see with with most tournaments where, where teams are seeded, you know, one to eight. And they advance on one, you know, left and right side of the bracket, or on, on one big, on one big bracket. It's actually split up. It, it, it recalibrates uh, with the final four teams. So that's one thing to note. So if we look at the first game or the the big game, first place v eighth place, Blues v Highlanders. I wouldn't say it's a big game. You know, I, I think the Blues go through pretty easily here, but it is crazy that the Highlanders are in the finals. So they won four games. That's it. Four games, and they make the finals. And, it, you know, it was really a coin flip between them and the force in the end. So, anyway, 
Crazy that they got in, but I think the Blues get it done in this game. They've lost one game all year. They've ha- they've had a number of tough games. A tough game against the Crusaders. Tough game against the Brumbies. You know, the game they dropped was against the Hurricanes, which was also a, a tough game. You know, and then they've had some big wins. You know, against the against some of the 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 cellar dwellers, if you will, in the competition. So, you know, I think the Blues the Blues are still the the clear cut favourite, but. I certainly wouldn't count out the Highlanders just pulling something out of the bag. You know, they're in the finals. The season effectively starts again. The top eight teams, single elimination, anything can happen. We look at the Crusaders and Reds game. The Crusaders have won five of their last six, so they're in pretty good form and have the best points differential in the competition. So I think it's about two, 200. I think it's 202. Off the top of my head, 202. Um, the yeah points different. So obviously a very good defensive team, but they can score points too all all over the park. And you know they've they've probably got they've got the best fly half in my view. Controversial, yeah, I know. They've got you know a really really incredible midfield, and they've got a really fucking good back three, and then you know really strong up front. The whole forward pack, 1-8, to eight, very, very, very solid. So they're going to be a tough beat. The Reds, conversely, they have lost five of their last six. So that they are the stark opposite to the Crusaders. They they are not in winning form. And, you know, I know they've had some injury, some injury challenges and that sort of thing, but, you know, they're not coming into this game in form. So I think I think, you know, one V eight, two V seven, you would expect that the Blues go through, the Crusaders go through. That's what I'm saying is going to happen. I think the Crusaders I think it's a tight game. I think the Reds will get up for this one. But you know, playing playing in Christchurch and and trying to, to keep up with them, you know, the 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 reality is with the Crusaders you have to be on your game, you have to play them perfectly. Do the Reds have the cattle to beat them? I don't know. I hope so. But I think I think the Crusaders will go through. So let's lock in the Blues and the Crusaders. Come down to this, this next game, the Chiefs and the Waratahs. I think this is going to be the most compelling game, personally. You know, the Tars are the big story of the competition this year. Huge turnaround from last year. They are, you know, they are the, the, the second best Australian Super Rugby franchise. If you had told me 12 months ago that that was going to be the case, I would have laughed at you because I just I just didn't see it happening. But what I will say is at the start of the year, if you go back to the my first podcast where I did the Super Rugby preview, I thought that they, you know, maybe could push the force to take that that third spot away from the force and that's what they did you know and 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 then in, and then improved again and and jumped up jumped up over over the red so you know i think they've been very impressive they've got a really good young team but then they've got some experience particularly in the midfield you know i i really like their back row and and some of the versatility they have in the back row losing harry johnson holmes is going to hurt but up front, you know, pretty strong. You know, they've got uh, Ruan Smith. Shouts to Ruan. 
Only player in Super Rugby history to play for all five Super Rugby franchises. <laughs> and and Cook's a mean bry. I he'll, he'll appreciate me saying that. So, but you know, Ruan Smith, ex- experienced statesman. Pet Cowan's there as well. So I think they'll be fine. You know, Angus Bell in the number one jump has been fantastic all season. Dave Parecki's been good. So, you know, I think this is this would be the most compelling game. And look, I have to admit, I haven't watched as much of the Chiefs as I would like. But what I have seen, you know, that they, they were unconvincing against the Reds and the Rebels, but still got a win. You know, the last game against the Drua was was close. Um, but, you know, the Drua were really playing playing for everything. You know, the Chiefs had already locked in. So sometimes it is hard to get up for those games. And we I think we saw that with the Brumbies uh, the, the week prior. Uh, sorry, the, the same week against, against Moana Pacifica. But they figure out ways to win. You know, lots of close games, you know, lots of games hanging in the balance. They have figured out how to win. So I think this is going to be... This is this for me is the hardest one to pick, but I'm going to say that the Tars knocked them over here, and I'm I'm going to say that because I just think the Waratahs are young enough and fearless enough to not care about the about the Chiefs, and they're not going into this game scared. They're the underdog. People have been writing them off all year. You know they beat the Crusaders this year. That's something that the Brumbies and the Reds haven't done. So. I think, and, and and momentum is such a huge thing. You know, I, I know I just said that the finals start again, and yes, they do. It is a different beast. You can't treat it as the same thing. But the Waratahs have been riding this wave of momentum. They seem to improve week to week. They seem to grow in confidence and stature every week. If they get it right this week, you know, who knows? They could ride that that confidence into the final because, you know, maybe maybe – they have to play the Blues or, or the Crusaders and, and just catch them on the right day and, and get through. So I'm going to tip the Tars, but I think it's going to be a really close game and I think it's going to be one of those games that hangs in the balance. And given what we know about the Chiefs, they find ways to win. So it, it, I think that's going to be the most interesting game. You know, I think the next game, the Brumbies and the Hurricanes, is is equally interesting. You know, The Hurricanes are the only team to have beaten the Blues. So they clearly have a level that they can get to. They haven't quite been as consistent as you would like, but, you know, any team that's got TJ Perinara, Geordie Barrett in it, like, pretty good. And, you know, they, they seem to have found a bit more of a rhythm with Geordie Barrett in the 12 jumper. You know, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe that's a, maybe that's a, a, Mistake, I, I don't know. That, but him in the 12 jumper seems to have steadied their attack a little bit. He gets more involved. You know, he can he can play make, but he can also choose when he takes the line on. You know, Artie Sevilla has been fantastic again. You know, and, th- and they're another team that I think has a really good front row, a lot of experience, a lot of potential as well. You know, Tyrell Lomax, I think, is, is going to develop into one of the best tight heads in the world. Obviously got Coles there. You know, I... Yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see what the Brumbies do up front. And, the, you know, the other thing, the Brumbies have, are coming into this game having dropped three in a row. So they've lost to the Blues, lost to the Crusaders, 
and then drop one that they shouldn't have against Moana Pacifica. You know, I think they went into that game expecting to win and, you know, just got caught with their pants down and they were playing catch-up. And, you know, I guess that, that brings in an interesting – the interesting question, you know, do, that that I, I spoke about a couple – a couple of weeks ago or last week, whenever my last podcast was, is, you know, so I was talking about them, you know, being second or third, ideally hitting third and, and having to play the Tars. Now they've dropped to fourth and they've got to play the Hurricanes, who conversely are, are three on the trot, three wins on the trot, have some momentum coming into the finals. So, you know, that it's going to be a tough game. And, and we saw last time that against the – when the Brumbies played against the Hurricanes, the game stood the the game hung in the balance until you know pretty late. The Brumbies got got some points late, which made the score seem a bit more one sided than it was. But you know it was really a game that was up for anyone until you know maybe the 65, 70 minute mark. So look, I, I'm going to tip the Brumbies. It's it's impossible for me to not back the Brumbies. So it's not going to be a surprise who. I tip to win. Yeah, you heard it here first. The Brumbies, they're going to be Super Rugby Pacific champions. So this is how I think the finals picture will shake out. I think the Blues will play the Waratahs, so semifinals. And I think the Crusaders will play the Brumbies, and that happens because of that recalibration. So first seed would play the sixth seed, and then the second seed plays the fourth seed. Now, I think... The Brumbies are capable of beating the Crusaders. I think we saw that. We saw, even in a game where they made so many mistakes, they couldn't get anything right, they still figured out a way to manufacture opportunities. They just didn't finish those opportunities. You know, if you go back and watch the last 20 minutes of that game, there were so many line breaks, so many opportunities. They just didn't get their support play right. They didn't finish their maul, which was, you know, has traditionally been a weapon usually really clinical. So I think they're capable of beating the Crusaders. Are they going to be able to do it in Christchurch? That's anyone's guess because that's, you know, if the final shakes out this way, that's where the game's going to be. So I don't know. It, it's it's going to be a really interesting game. And then, you know, as I just said, the Blues and the Waratahs, anything could happen in that game. Like literally anything could happen. The Waratahs could run out of puff and lose by 50 points. The Waratahs could also just ride that wave of momentum and beat them. You know, how many how many teams have you seen dominate through the year, get to finals, tighten up, have a bad game or have their one bad game for the year in finals and and then they're done? Happens a lot. Happens more than you think. But if if we're playing the bracket game like we do with the NCAA, NCAA tournament every year, Blues are going through... Brumbies are going through. That's my that's my tip. Blues v Brumbies final in Auckland at Eden Park. And in that game, the Brumbies come out victorious. They win by two points, 24-22. That's the tip. You heard it here first. I'll put this graphic up on my Instagram page. I think it's interesting and I'd like to hear other other views. But, you know, I think I think the Brumbies are going to turn it around. They're going to get this win. 
this week against the Hurricanes and they're going to do it convincingly and then they're going to ride that wave into the finals. They've had their sputter, they've had their spurt. Now they're going to show us what they can do. They're going to get it right. And they're going to be the first Australian Super Rugby champion for since 2011, 14, 14. Sorry, I got excited. 2014. Long time between drinks, eight years, eight seasons. We we can't really call, and you know we can't do the the Super Rugby AU thing because we didn't play the the New Zealanders and and then you know they made us look a bit silly last year. So it's awesome to see this competition, uh, you know, grow the way it has and and see the Australian teams be so much more competitive with the New Zealand teams. I really like the Drua. Like I, I think it's going to be awesome having them in the competition long term. I think now that they've they've had a year, they've had some success, showed proof proof of concept. They'll be able to attract some some big name players, you know, who are some of the Fijian guys who are playing overseas, and and they're going to bring, you know, we've already seen it. They they score long range tries, they throw offloads, they they. They can play structured, but they play without structure, and it's thrilling. It's so much fun to watch. So we need to cultivate that because that's going to be our main selling point, and I think long-term, you know, that's the Drua's identity. They play that really up-tempo style. They keep the ball off the deck. They play quick. They don't kick a lot. They attack out of their own half, and that's the footy that everyone wants to see. And so, you know, if they can be successful playing that way, I don't see why everyone else can't. I get frustrated sometimes. I watch, you know, I watch what's going on up north. You know, with 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 English rugby, with French rugby, Irish rugby. They seem to play more expensive footy than we do. You know, it's it's almost like the the hemispheres have flipped, and we play ten man footy, and they play they play the wide expansive footy now. And you know why? Because all our good coaches are coaching over there. Like, Liam, what are you talking about, Liam? Google it. Just go and Google it. Check out how many Australian and New Zealand coaches are coaching in the British, French, Irish, Scottish, Welsh system because it's a lot. It's a lot more than you think. (laughs) So you heard it here first. Brumbies, Super Rugby Pacific Champions 2022. They're going to do it from fourth place. They're going to beat the Blues in the final by two points, 24-22 at Eden Park. And I won't hear any opinions that are different until after this weekend. You can't prove me wrong until after this weekend if the result doesn't go the Brumbies way. But you heard it here first. I think that's it for this week. It's been a long week, tough week. Lots happened. But I'm really excited to rip in to some super footy this weekend. Probably just going to sit on my couch with my son, with my baby boy. We're just going to watch every game start to finish live because we don't have to get up at 2 a.m. anymore to watch the South African games, which is great. I miss I miss South Africa, but also the, the early mornings, they used to kill me. So I'm going to do that. I'm probably going to watch the Raiders. Shouts to the Raiders. Little mini resurgence. I was ready to give up on him a couple of weeks ago when I had Locke on the show from the Fifth and Dribble podcast. 
So I'm glad there's a little mini resurgence there. Jamal Fogarty looks good. Shame about Jad Croker with another injury, but you know, I think I think they're showing signs. There's a plenty of season left to go. It's not like Super Rugby where you drop four games and you're out of it. There's a long season, plenty of opportunities to improve. So I think they're on the upward tra- trajectory. You know, tough loss against the Eels on the weekend, but at least it was close. The boys stuck stuck in, hung in, gave it their all. You know, there was no fading at the end of the games, which is what we've seen. So that's good. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to eat some food. I'm going to have some barbecue. I'm going to troll some Kiwis on the internet when all their teams lose. <laughs> And before I go, another shout-out to Riverside.fm. Click on the tile on our website. Sign up for a subscription. Start your podcast. Maybe you'll be part of the Cover Podcast Network, like I am, and like the Fifth and Dribble Podcast, and like the Daily Dribble Podcast. You're going to have a platform for your podcast, for all your content in one place, part of the network, but you've got to get Riverside first. Get Riverside Become part of the Cover Podcast Network. I'm going to be back in a week. Lydia Williams is going to check back into the show again. I'm going to try and get myself sorted, get these guests happening for the back end of the podcast. The plan is to go right through to July, end of July, end of the international rugby season, at least short-term season, maybe come back at the end of the year. But I promise I will have some guests soon. And I look forward to hearing from you all in the weeks in the week after this if you've got some more questions send those through happy to answer questions if you've got some ideas around guests some people you'd like to see I'm happy to happy to entertain that and if you've got something you want me to write about let's do it you got a story for us I'll investigate it I'll write it see what happens that's it for this week I'll see you in a week's time